Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the news section. This episode features a conversation between David Mesco, the Chief Executive Officer of IASLC, and Dr. Matt Staliga, Chair of the ISLC Tobacco Control and Smoking Cessation Committee and Surgical Oncologist at Winthrop P. Rockefeller Cancer Institute in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hi, Matt. Thanks for taking the time to join us today on our podcast. Happy New Year. We'll jump right in, and we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts about the Tobacco Control and Smoking Cessation Committee at the IASLC. Can you share with us what its role is its goals and objectives. Certainly, thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here. Um, uh, the IASLC uh, committee, uh, we use all of our committee members to bring together various different backgrounds and strengths and perspectives, and we work and focus on uh, improving outcomes in lung cancer. If we look at the IASLC mission overall. We embrace the study of the etiology, epidemiology, prevention of the diagnosis, treatment, and all aspects of lung cancer and other malignancies, um, but also providing education and information about lung cancer. And as smoking is the largest and most controllable risk factor for lung cancer, education is it's key um, to helping us understand uh, the, the etiology of it and prevention of it. And one of ISLC's points on the mission statement is to use all available means to eliminate lung cancer um, as a health threat for the individual patient and throughout the world. And if we're really going to tackle lung cancer, we tackle it patient by patient um, in a treatment perspective. But when we're talking about prevention, if we're really tackling it and uh, using all available means, tobacco control and smoking cessation is a, a true key component of that. Well, thank you for that. And relating it to the mission of the IASLC and obviously the importance of our role as an educator, and you talked about risk factors and prevention, why was it critical for the committee and the IASLC at this particular time to release a position statement on e-cigarettes? You know, over the past year, there's been exploding information about electronic cigarettes and side effects or harms that are associated to uh, electronic cigarettes or vaping-associated lung injury. And these reports have been uh, predominantly concentrated in the U.S., but some of the harms from these uh, e-cigarette or vaping devices have been pretty significant in some people. The CDC tracks that with um, over 2,500 uh, confirmed or suspected uh, injuries and uh, over 50 deaths. So lots of um, light has been shed on it, but there's still not a lot known about it. Uh, as an international organization where we work on uh, uh, tobacco in the setting of lung cancer prevention and education, we have a lot of uh, wonderful committee members who have great backgrounds in uh, tobacco and, and e-cigarettes. Um, and we pulled our uh, voices and ideas together. We wanted to give something useful and meaningful out there. 
in that there was many um, different perspectives around the world. Uh, some countries, uh, particularly the UK, has uh, a more pro-e-cigarette uh, perspective, and uh, the National Health Service even uh, supports it in some ways, whereas other countries ban it completely. So being an international organization, we had to bring together lots of different perspectives, and I think we needed to get information out about e-cigarettes get information out about the harms, the potential issues that can increase those harms. If there is any benefits from them, how those benefits might be um, uh, gained with the least risk possible, et cetera. So with lots of different um, information coming out, and it's, it's a changing landscape, we felt we needed to get everybody at least on the same page in perspectives of related to cancer care and cancer uh, treatment cancer prevention and cancer education. No, thank you. you. You shared, you know, some of the complexities. You know, we are an international and multidisciplinary organization. And given that there is, you know, differing views around the globe, and you talked about getting everybody to the same page, um, how do we navigate that ongoing debate um, around e-cigarettes, you know, balancing the smoking cessation and the fact that sometimes they are a gateway toward nicotine addiction. How do we navigate those on an international basis? You know, even though different uh, stakeholders from different uh, countries or areas may have uh, varying perspectives, there's certainly common ground that we can find with all of our experts on the committee. Certain common things like e-cigarettes should never be used by youth, or nicotine-naive adults. Uh, E-cigarettes uh, have not uh, definitively been proven as a smoking cessation aid that's better than what's out there, um, which is uh, approved pharmacotherapy and counseling. So we could get some, um, even though we have different viewpoints, we could get some uh, commonalities between uh, all these things uh, with different stakeholders and perspectives to show areas that are universally um, agreed upon. Uh, we do know that um, some people have been able to quit with e-cigarettes. That's great. But there's a concern that we don't know long-term data. And there's a concern that there may be um, a lot of dual use going on with people using both e-cigarettes and conventional combustibles where it's harder to quit. And it's, it's a, a awful um, issue of youth use is out there. And that, that really needs to be uh, curtailed, um, and steps are being taken all, all the time towards that. But uh, uh, youth that end up using e-cigarettes who had not used conventional are putting themselves at risk from the e-cigarette or even um, sliding into combustibles uh, use. Well, I wonder if you, Matt, if you could elaborate on, you talked about the common ground and youth and how there is consensus in an international context around youth not um, making use of these of these devices. What's your sense in a U.S. context about the, the epidemic of e-cigarettes going on right now? You know, it's, it, I have a couple different perspectives on it. In one view, yes, it's terrible. There are youths using these addictive engineered devices that deliver nicotine very effectively. And there are youth that end up addicted to it 
and some people harmed or even killed by these substances. But when you put it in context of how many people every day take up smoking of combustible cigarettes and how many people in our country die every year from preventable causes from combustibles, it's much, much greater. So, yes, there is a youth problem. The combustible problem is, is many-fold greater, but I think we can work on both of those and uh, diminish it. So I, I think that we can focus on youth use, e-cigarettes, cutting that down, and certainly take strides against that. Um, moving tobacco and e-cigarette purchase age to 21 is a great step towards that. Um, potentially limiting flavors and other uh, things that appeal to youth is, is a, a good stride um, that can be used. Um, but we can't lose sight of the tobacco problem also. And it's not an either or. We need to work on both of these things. Um, and so that's kind of how I see it is it's a problem, but it's only part of the problem. And, and we still have to work uh, just as hard or even harder on, on com combustible cigarettes as that's truly a, a, the bigger killer in our society. No, th thank you. Thank you for that. I agree. We have to be able to to, to tackle both at the, at the same time. I wonder, I wonder if we could turn our attention now to, you know, the research that um, does exist. There was a study on e-cigarettes earlier this year. How did, what was your sense of that study and how did you interpret the results? Yeah, I, I think you're referring to the um, uh, New England Journal uh, article. There's been a lot of different articles published. It, it, the literature is literally you know, exploding with different data and different things uh, lately. But but one that got a lot of attention was uh, a randomized trial of e-cigarettes versus nicotine replacement therapy that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine. And uh, this came out um, February 14th of uh, 2019. And uh, it, a lot of e-cigarette data in the past has been observational or retrospective cohorts where we just looked at groups that have selection bias and uh, other kinds of limitations. But this was a prospective randomized study with uh, over 800 participants um, who were given an e-cigarette versus a nicotine replacement uh, of their choice. You know, a year later, the e-cigarette group had an abstinence rate of 18%. It's pretty good. And the NRT, or nicotine replacement therapy, was 9.9. So 18 versus 10 is statistically significant. That's, that's great. Um, that's a good step towards getting more people off cigarettes. In the details, when we read in a little, little deeper, many of the people who had used e-cigarettes to quit uh, were still using the e-cigarette a year later, 80% of those given an e-cigarette were unable to quit the e-cigarette at a year. And that shows a couple things. Yes, the e-cigarettes effectively deliver nicotine, but they're also addictive, like nicotine is, but they're also a vehicle of nicotine addiction that's hard to kick. And so that, yes, we got a lot of people off cigarettes in that study, and that was statistically significant, but a lot of people were unable to quit the e-cigarette. We know about tobacco from combustible cigarettes and data from decades or over a century of data looking back at tobacco and smoking. We don't have decades and decades of e-cigarette use. So we, 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 yes, if people are able to quit and they're on the e-cigarette, 
it may have less carcinogens. It might have less certain toxic substances. But there's other things in those devices. And those other things, they may be less harmful. We don't know the long-term data on it. And a lot of the information is a little twisted when we hear about it. We hear that they're FDA-approved additives. Those are additives that are approved for food, for you to eat, ingest, digest, and, and, and process through your digestive system. They're not approved to be sucked into your lungs. They're not approved to be heated, and heating changes those chemical properties, and then it goes in your lungs. And so, so we don't know enough of the long-term data. So the way I look at that randomized study was it did show that they can work in a very structured setting. But even though they work, a lot of people are still hooked on them. So I, I, I see that as a bit of a two-edged sword. A lot of the real use of e-cigarettes is not like we see in this structured, randomized clinical trial. Real-world use, I, I think, has a lot of people not getting counseling, people without a quick plan, without resources and follow-up, and people who do a lot of dual use and are having a hard time quitting. So it, it gives some information, but I think it needs to be interpreted with the context that it was that it was uh, uh, conducted under. We shouldn't ex ignore the importance of smoking cessation and tobacco control in its prevention. What tr what trends do you see with regard to smoking, and what is the ISLC Tobacco Control and Smoking Cessation Committee doing to address this problem? We have found that even after diagnosis. People who quit smoking have survival benefit. And that's, that's independent of different treatment methods. Whether they're getting chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, survival is impacted in a positive way by getting people to quit. It works better when we're not smoking. Um, so we, we had a, a statement, uh, a declaration from the ISLC about tobacco cessation after cancer diagnosis. And this was, this was great. This was released at our, our last um, world conference. And again, pulling people together from around the world with certain things we can all agree on. Everyone who's a cancer patient should be screened for tobacco use, advised about the benefits of cessation. Everybody who is smoking should get evidence-based um, assistance, pharmacotherapy and, and counseling. And educational programs about cancer treatment should include educating those providers about the um, harms of tobacco and the improved benefits of, of quitting. So there's a lot of different things we can all agree on, and uh, that's how we're going to bring these services to all of our patients around the world is to get people understanding the, the benefits of it and, uh, and implementing smoking cessation in a clinical setting, it's something new, it's something different, it's something out of a lot of people's familiarity. So that's why we're trying to incorporate that in as many of our um, educational activities as possible. No, thank you for that. It does sound exciting. I think that there's so much power when organizations like this come together um, to solve um, these, you know, these large questions that, that we're all wrestling with and trying to find a path forward. You know, as we are at the beginning of, of 2020, I wondered, if, Matt, if you would share your hopes for progress or, or New Year's resolution for the, for the field of lung cancer with regard to tobacco smoking and e-cigarettes. I think my hopes are really for education um, of clinicians, researchers, 
but also the public and getting people to understand the dangers of those things, the cigarettes and e-cigarettes, and getting people to understand that effective quit methods, effective cessation resources, they're out there. We have um, all kinds of uh, access to resources through, through quit lines. Toll-free quit lines exist in every state and most countries around the world. Getting people to know that uh, approved pharmacotherapy it works. Getting people to know the counseling, telephone counseling, in-person, face-to-face counseling, whatever it takes, that also helps uh, quit rates. So I think that as we move forward as a research organization, as an educational organization, we can do our part. But also, change happens in cities, countries, and around the world through policy. And that change happens through lobbying. It happens through... Um, approaching government leaders and it, it happens by showing them benefits of of uh cessation and the harms of tobacco and we're, we're up against uh, a big industry there and so I, I think that part of our role is to use our voice and use our perspective and use our personal view into the into the harms we see but also the personal view into the victories we have to talk to our elected uh, leaders and push for Increasing taxation, um, raising ages to 21, uh, limiting sales, um, providing more funding for, for cessation resources. So I think that another part of my hopes isn't just education, but it's really policy change. And uh, if we hit this from every direction possible, have the, the best possible outcomes to really line up with our ISLC mission of using uh, all of our available uh, resources, and I, I think they said any means necessary to eliminate lung cancer. Well, Matt, thank you. And I, I want to thank you for your leadership to um, the Tobacco Control and Smoking Cessation Committee of the ISLC and also for your membership. Um, and clearly, you know, your insights, your commitment to effective tobacco education, to the necessary policy changes are, are very much appreciated. So thank you again for your time this morning. Oh, thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more Lung Cancer Considered podcasts. And please, like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues. 